Well, hey everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Cultivate Church Online. We're so honored that you're here with us. Welcome to all of our guests, however you're tuning in via podcast or YouTube or directly there on our website. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're in a standalone week, meaning we've just come out. We just finished up last week. We finished a series called This is Cultivate. I would invite you to be a part of that if you haven't. If this is your maybe your first time here, you can log back on to uh, YouTube or however you choose uh, to receive uh, media. You can find all of that free right there on our website. It, we were able to go through all month long just walking through step by step what God's called us to do and be as a church. So maybe you're kicking the tires on Cultivate, trying to learn a little bit about it. I would encourage you to dive into that message series because I believe it's a, a great uh, starting point of what God is doing through Cultivate Church in Shelby County and also around the world. Today, I've titled your message, if you've got your notes there in front of you, I've titled your message, Drop the Bucket. Drop the bucket. It's going to come from a passage of scripture, really a pretty famous passage of scripture in John chapter 4. And uh, right there on the screen, I'm going to read this passage of scripture and you can follow along with me. And then we're going to dive into what I think is a process that Jesus takes us all through. And so let's read together. It says, soon, verse 7, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, you don't think you're greater than your ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, do you? How can you offer better water than he has and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. She said, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. He said, go get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. (laughs) Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insisted that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while the Samaritans claim that it is here in Mount Gezrium that our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while the Jews know all about them, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him that way. Verse 24 says, For God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain all of this to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. 
Just then the disciples came back and were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them would ever ask, well, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? I love this. The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to help them. Do you know this is actually the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and anyone in the Gospels? And we see it's with a woman, not just any woman, it's a Samaritan woman, and she's an outcast. Yet it was the longest conversation recorded between Jesus and anyone. History reminds us that Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. And just a little bit of context, Samaritans and Jews didn't really have anything to do with any each other. There was a racial divide. The Jewish people believed that the Samaritans were quote-unquote a half-breed. They were half-Gentile, half-Jewish, and they didn't have anything to do with them. So much so that most Jewish people, when having to go in that direction, would walk clear around the city. There were entire trails and roads designed to wrap around the city so that the Jewish people would not have to come in contact with Samaritans. You can even see later on in the book of John when the Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to insult Jesus, they called him a Samaritan demon. They didn't have anything to do with one another. There was a deep hatred as it relates to Samaritans and Jews. And here Jesus comes to the well, which is a gathering place for the community, and he speaks with a woman, already controversial, a Samaritan woman, really, really controversial, and an outcast. How do you know she was an outcast, Brandon? Well, the Bible tells us that she came to the well at the sixth hour of the day. History reminds us that women actually going to the well was a community thing. So women would go early in the mornings together to gather the water for the day. And really, the sixth hour of the day, this was a time in which people would come to the well that were um, pretty much outcasted by their community, not allowed to go, not welcome in friends and circles of friends that would go together in community. This woman had a reputation. This woman had lived a life, made some decisions that for one reason or another caused her to not be welcome around others. And Jesus sees her there and has this incredible conversation with her. What we see here is probably one of the most controversial conversations and moments in the Bible. And it's a beautiful example of how Jesus really broke all the cultural rules in an exchange to change a woman's life. Today I want to talk to you about what it looks like for us to drop the bucket. You see that in that end of that conversation, Jesus reveals who he is to her and she leaves everything. The Bible says she left the jar of water, she dropped the bucket, and she went and proclaimed who he was in her life. So I'm going to pray today and I believe there's a process in this story that we can walk through and I've walked through in my life and many of you have walked through and maybe you have yet to walk through that I believe can make a change in your life today and moving forward. So let's pray and we'll dive into our notes. Father, thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your word today that it is alive and breathing and for us. Jesus, thank you that you break cultural norms, that you broke many rules to reach us, that you left heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless 
perfect life, sacrificing it for my sin on our behalf. And so, Father, we pray today as we open your word that it speaks to us right where we are. Father, that you would open our hearts, perform spiritual surgery on it. God, convince us, inspire us to live a life on purpose in a way that honors you. Jesus, may you get all of the honor and all of the glory out of our lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, number one, if you're taking notes today, here's what I think Jesus does. Jesus will always, he meets me. Jesus meets us. We don't necessarily go to Jesus. We don't find Jesus. Jesus finds us. You can see that there in the scripture in John chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. We see that Jesus had already told his disciples in previous verses, I have to. It is a, it is a must. I must go through Samaria. We can't go around it. We can't avoid it. I've got to go through it. And he does. And the Bible says he found himself at Jacob's well, a pretty famous place where everybody gathered. In verse 7 it says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised. Why? Remember, we talked about these cultural norms. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And I love this. Listen to what he says. He replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You know, I've, all, I've often realized in my life that God has a beautiful way of meeting people in their greatest moments and greatest places of need. Many times we're not even looking for him in those moments. This scenario right here in John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, it's an example of a woman being, being in her greatest place of need. Notice it wasn't a place of religion that Jesus met her. It wasn't a place that normally people would want to meet a religious figure or thought that he would be there, but it was in the exact place that reminded her every single day of her life choices. Every day when she would get up and she would go to draw water from that well at that time of day, it was a reminder of the decisions that she had made, the circumstance that she found herself in, and the friendships that she had lost along the way. She was in an outcasted position. She was living quite literally in her place of shame in that moment. Every day when she would walk to the well alone, it was a reminder that she had, had made decisions that had outcast her from society and from her culture. See, Jacob's well wasn't a popular place to be the sixth hour of the day. I kind of think that's why Jesus was there, right? He, he knew who was coming. I'm, I, I do a lot of work with military chaplains around the world, and I've spoken with a whole bunch of them. And one of the statements that's always been told as it relates to just bringing the gospel to people and sharing Jesus with people all over the world in all so many different contexts. I heard was talk, speaking with a chaplain not long ago, and we were talking about uh, just what's it like to reach people around the world in places of war or in places of famine or in other areas. And he said, you know, I've learned. He said, it's a lot different than right here in America. It's a lot different than cultural Christianity. He said, I've learned that in places of war, there really are no atheists. In places of war, there really are no people who don't want God. 
He said, when someone's about to, to, to be deployed or somebody's going out into a place of war, into a dangerous part of the world, they always seek out a chaplain. They always look for someone to pray with. They always want to know that God is near. It's in those moments of our greatest need that many of us, we, the, it, God is closer in those moments than any other time. Why? Because God meets us there. Where do you find yourself today? Maybe you think you're too far from God, distance from his presence. Often, I think the farther you feel, the farther you feel from God, the closer he really is. Because Jesus meets us in our greatest moments and places of need. I know it's so easy for us to think that there's no way that Jesus could meet me here in the circumstance or the situation that I found myself in. Maybe you're tuning in today and you think you've gone too far or done too much. That you're literally in a reminder of the moment or the circumstances or the decisions that you've made right now. And you think there's no way in this moment that Jesus would meet me here. I would think that in that moment when that woman was going to draw water from that well at that time of the day, she never would have dreamed that Jesus himself would have met her in that place. But he does. I'm so thankful that Jesus finds me. I don't have to go find him. He'll find me where I am. He meets us where we are. Number two, if you're taking notes, it goes a little further. He confronts us. He'll meet us where we are, but he doesn't leave us that way. He confronted the woman at the well, verses 11 through 15. It says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, listen, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than what he and his sons and animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Listen to what she says. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come get here to get this water. Think about that for a moment. Here they are exchanging in this conversation, and, and really they're not even on the same page at all. This woman thinks that Jesus is specifically talking about the physical well that they'd met themselves, that they had met at, and they found themselves at together. But the truth of the matter is, that's not at all what Jesus was talking about. She was talking about a physical well. Jesus was reminding her of the spiritual well, the spiritual place that she found herself in. Jesus reminded her that she's been drawing from a well, hoping to get something that she'll never fully get from that place. Jesus said, as long as you keep drawing from this well, as long as you keep coming back to this water, as long as you keep doing the same old thing, making the same decisions, trying to make it out your way, figure it out in your own strength, you will always be thirsty. See, he was confronting her decisions. Jesus was confronting the life that she had lived, the, the, the circumstance that she had found herself in, the decisions that she had made. Those who drink this water will become thirsty again. Come on. The world can't give what the world doesn't have. 
We've said that often here at Cultivate Church. So many times she had found herself going back to the same old thing, the same old circumstance, the same old situation, the same decisions, hoping that this time it'll be different. This new relationship, it'll be different. This new circumstance, it'll be different. Oh, if I just, if it wasn't, if I could just tweak it this one little way and figure it out this way, it'll be different this time. Only to realize it's the same hole that you dug the last time. It's the same exact thing that happened the last time. And Jesus confronted it and he said, you don't have to keep doing the same thing. You don't have to keep coming back to the same well of decisions, well of circumstances that you found yourself in. You can drink from mine, drink from my water. It's living water. It will, it will produce a living water inside of them. See, she's still thinking physically, so Jesus had to continue to remind her. What, do you, what, do you, what good is it really doing? Think about it in your own life. Maybe you found yourself in, uh, in, in life going back to the same decisions, doing the same thing, hanging around the same kinds of people, spending money on the same things you've always spent money on, never really digging out of debt, never really uh, digging out of the circumstance, only ever growing deeper and deeper and deeper. Come on, what good is that doing you? It satisfies for a little bit, right? The new job, the new relationship, the new thing, the new church, the new friends, the new clothes, the new stuff. It, 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 feel, it quenches the thirst for a moment. It quenches the thirst for a season, but you always find yourself going back for more. You keep going back trying to fill a void that only God can fill. What do we mean by the world can't give what the world doesn't possess? Well, Jesus is reminding her in John chapter 4 that the only one that can actually satisfy your thirst is him. God is the only one that can ever fully satisfy. You'll keep going back again and back again and back again. And it will never fully satisfy so long as you're drawing from the same wells that you've been drawing from. And so she still didn't fully understand it. He was confronting her decisions in life. So he goes a little bit further and he enlightened her. And that's number three, Jesus enlightens me. What does that mean? Well, listen to what he says. He says, go and get your husband. Uh-oh. She said, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the one you're living with now. You certainly have spoken the truth. He confronted her decisions and then he opened her mind to the reality of what God was doing in that moment. He enlightened her. Now he's confronting the sin in her life. He reminds her of her sin without ever once condemning her of the circumstance. In that moment, I believe this woman believed that she's been here before. You see, she knows what religion is. She knew what it was like. She had been outcasted by religion. She had been pushed away by friends and family who didn't agree with her. And Jesus was enlightening her. He was confronting her that this is the well you've gone to so many times. This is the thing that you've done over and over and over again. You're here and you're thinking, I'm talking about this Jacob's well, but I'm talking about your relationships. I'm talking about the decisions that you've made. Every time you go back to that well, it's going to leave you thirsty. But I've 
got something that can fully satisfy. So go get your husbands. Go get them. You're right. You've, you've, you've gone to the well so many times and it's not working out. I believe Jesus is reminding some of us today. What is that moment? Come on, he's enlightening us right now. What's the well you've been going to? Come on, is it alcohol? Is it, is it food? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe you go from one dating relationship to another dating relationship to the next dating relationship, never really finally fully being satisfied or fulfilled in any of it. You go from job to job. You've gone from church to church. It's not working, is it? You're right. Maybe the Lord is opening your mind, enlightening you. He's reminding you that there's a better way. That's the difference you see between conviction and condemnation. There's a big difference. And I've taught on this before, but there's the difference between conviction and condemnation is conviction is the loving hand of God showing me there's a better way. And that's what Jesus is doing when he's confronting her and he enlightened her. When he reminded her of the, the sin in her life, he was convicting her. He was, he was showing her there's a better way. But there's something that happens every time the Lord brings conviction, the enemy brings condemnation. You see, condemnation is a counterfeit conviction. Every, there's a reason why every time I'm convicted of something in my life that also follows shame and guilt. It comes right along with it, and I begin to feel guilty, and I begin to feel ashamed of the decisions that I've made. And, and I keep it to myself because I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed of the things that I've done and the circumstances that I've found myself in. So I'm convinced because I believe the lies of the enemy. I'm convinced that if I tell anyone of these things in my life, if anybody knows, then they're just going to push me away. I'll find myself going to the well at 6 uh, six hours into the day. I'll find myself out of community and, and, and out of away from my friends and my family won't have anything to do with me. And they certainly won't allow me in church. You see, that's a lie. There's, that's why conviction and condemnation are two separate things. And I would remind you today that when the Lord is reminding you of the sin in your life, He's reminding you because he's, all, he's telling you there's a better way. He's not condemning you. You see, the Bible says that the, that the wrath of God that was supposed to be poured out on mankind was actually poured out on Jesus. So that allows him to be able to come to the well, meet you in your circumstance, convince you and remind you of your sin and lovingly show you there's a better way. What does the Bible say? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So here we see the longest conversation in the Gospels between Jesus and anyone. And it's an outcasted Samaritan woman. And Jesus is changing her life. What does it look like for Jesus to enlighten you today? Come on, what's the sin in your life? What is the thing that he's confronting that needs to change, that needs to show, that needs to mold into something different? Number three, you need to know this, that Jesus knows me. He knows me. He confronts me, he enlightens me, he meets me where I'm at because he knows me. You see, this woman knew about the Messiah. She knew stories, she didn't know him. Listen to what it says. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. And when he comes, he's going to explain all this stuff to us. Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Think about that for a moment. She thought she knew him. She, she knew about him. 
She didn't realize she was standing right next to him. Too many people know about Jesus, but they don't really know him. Come on, what about you? Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you grew up in Sunday school. Maybe you have a great knowledge of the Word of God. But maybe, maybe if you're honest, you really don't know Jesus. She was able to talk about His coming, not realizing she was talking to Him. You know the Bible, but you don't know the author. The Bible reminds us of what that's going to look like one day in Matthew chapter 7. You can see it right there on your screen. Jesus says, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, on that day, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I'll reply, what does he say? I never knew you. I never knew you. There's a difference between many voices and the voices of my kids. Those of you who are parents, you know this very well. Those of you who aren't, one day you will potentially know that truth. I can choose the voice of my children in a crowd of a thousand. If they can be in a crowd of hundreds and hundreds of people and I can hear the cry of one of my children and I know instantly who it is. I can tell if it's Shepherd or if it's Isabella. I can tell by the tone of their cry if it's, if it's critical, if they're really, really injured, if they're just angry or if they're upset. I can tell by the sound of their voice the circumstance and the situation. You want to know why? Because I know them. I can't do that for your children, and you probably can't do that for my children because you know of my kids. You've heard about them. You may have been acquainted with them, but you don't know them like I know them. And see, Jesus is wanting to know you. He's wanting you to know him. Do you know God so intimately that when you know, when you can hear the voice of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, or when you're reading His Word, or through a moment of prayer, that you know, that you know, that you know that it's Him. You don't know of Him, you know Him. Jesus wants relationship with you. He's not concerned about how much you know about Him. He's concerned with whether or not you actually know Him. You know, my kids don't know everything about my life. I'm 38 years old. I, I was in my third, I was, you know, much older when I had my children. There's many things about my life that they've yet to figure out. They don't know a lot about me, really. But boy, they know me. We're in relationship together. Come on, do you know Jesus? In a world of social media, I think it's too easy to know about someone and actually think you know them. Come on, you've been there. You've had those conversations. You think, as many of you follow people on social media so well that you all, all, almost feel as if you know one another. But the truth is you don't. And it's one thing to know about Jesus. It's a whole other thing to know him personally. And maybe you're here today and you find yourself in a situation much like the woman at the well. And maybe you're reminded of the circumstances that you find yourself in, the decisions that you've made on a consistent basis because of the things that are going on in your life. I want you to know that Jesus is meeting you right here, right where you are, in the greatest place of need. And he knows you much like he knows her. And he wants you to know him. He knows you. And the last thing I'll share with you today is he redeems me. He redeems me. Greatest news the world has ever known is that God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus to reconcile us back to himself. I love what happens in John chapter 4, verses 28 through 30. 
It says, then the woman left her jar. You want to underline that. You want to write that down. Beside the well and ran back into the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming out to the village. This woman who had been outcasted, this woman who was going to the well at a time when no one else did because no one else wanted to be around her. Instantly, she floods back into the city and something has changed. She went from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. She went to, she went to her place of shame and came back completely redeemed and restored. Go and come and see everything a man who's told me everything I've ever done. It has to be him. You see, here's what I've learned, that the key to redemption is dropping the bucket. Stop going back to the same decisions you've ever made. Stop going back to the place of your greatest needs. Stop reminding yourself daily of how far you've gone and how bad you've messed up and how, how much nobody could care or love you or be there for you. I want you to know there's a God in heaven who loves you more than you could ever dream or imagine. And he's here, present, in your place of greatest need, specifically for only this reason, to redeem you, to restore you to bring you back into a knowledge of who he is. She made a decision that day that she wasn't going back into the village the same way that she left. She left with a bucket to go dip into the well that she had done every other day for so many years. She left in the shame and the circumstance and the situation. Jesus had just radically changed her life and she wasn't going back to the same man that, she, that he told her to go find. She wasn't going back to that well. She was, gonna, she was done drawing from the same old decisions and circumstances. He had just met her in a greater place of need, confronted her sin, and redeemed her from all of it. Maybe today, that's you. Jesus is here. He's ready to meet you right where you are. Because she decided to leave her bucket, the whole city did as well. You can continue reading in that passage of Scripture in John chapter 4. And the Bible eventually says that all of the people in the city came to her. And they said, we came to see because of your testimony. But now we've experienced him for ourselves. We don't believe just because of what you said. We now believe because we've experienced him ourselves. Come on, what bucket are you carrying around in your life, proverbially? Come on, what's the sin in your life? What's the circumstance? What's the decisions you've made in your life that you keep drawing from that, that will never satisfy? Maybe today could be the day that you allow Jesus to be the one that satisfies. You would simply say right here where you are, Father, forgive me of my sins. I'm so sorry that I've lived my, my life in my own strength and my own abilities. Today I've been reminded of the sin in my own life. Today I've been confronted with my own decisions. But Jesus, it's, been, it's different this time. I don't feel shame. I don't feel guilt. I don't feel condemnation, but I feel the loving hand of God. And today, Jesus, I lay it all down at your feet. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I confess that you are Lord, that you lived a perfect sinless life, died on a cross and came back to life to rescue me. And Jesus, today I accept you as my Savior. From this point forward, I'm going to follow you as Lord of my life. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.